Why not go up to Montana? And we're a shade old to start fighting Indians all over again, don't you think? It is one of the most beloved stories of our time. Hailed as one of the best westerns ever made and now available like never seen before. Lonesome Dove, the two-disc collector's edition. It's digitally remastered. Pretty as ever. For the first time in widescreen and 5.1 surround sound. And besides the whiskey, I think we'll require a little respect. See Lonesome Dove the way it was meant to be seen. Yes, sir. Based on the Pulitzer Prize winning book by Larry McMurtry and winner of seven Emmy Awards, Lonesome Dove remains one of the highest rated miniseries in TV history. It's a bad bunch we're after. Bad as i ever seen. What are we doing way up here, Mr. Gus? This ain't our country. Featuring an all-star cast, Robert Duvall, Tommy Lee Jones, Diane Lane, Danny Glover, Angelica Houston, Chris Cooper, Steve Buscemi, Frederick Forrest, Ricky Schroeder, D.B. Sweeney, and Robert Urich. You coming? I guess if you watch, you'll find out, won't you? This two-disc collector's edition DVD features new, never-before-seen bonus extras that take you behind the scenes of the American classic. I guess I can go where I want. It's a free country, ain't it? Including the making of an epic, a 50-minute featurette, a brand-new interview with director Simon Winsor. It's a grand adventure and, and great entertainment. That's why people are watching. Never-before-seen interviews on the set with author Larry McMurtry, Danny Glover, Tommy Lee Jones, and Robert Duvall. It's exciting and adventurous and heartbreaking. I felt it was a privilege to play that part. Great part. Gus, I never thought I'd see so far. Revisit the timeless epic like you've never seen it before. Lonesome Dove. It ain't dying I'm talking about. It's living. The two-disc collector's edition, now available on DVD and Blu-ray. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? The podcast in which we ask ourselves, is it yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined today by my good buddy, Mr. Michael Bailey. Hey, happy to be here. Welcome aboard, Mike. Thanks for coming on with me. Hey, it's uh, you know, I, I I like when I get invited to talk about things other than comics. So this is great. Yeah, and I enjoy sometimes talking about things other than comics. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I, I sent out the call to people and I said, hey, I'm doing this show. You know, give me some ideas. What would you like to co- What would you like to cover? So Mike took my format and he smashed it on the ground and said, I want to cover Lonesome Dove. <laughs> And I thought, well, you know what? It's my format, and I'm going to leave it smashed on the ground because Mike and I have talked in the past. I think if you've listened to enough episodes of Views from the Long Box, you've heard us talking about Lonesome Dove in the past. Yeah. And now you're going to get to hear us talking about it again. Well, it was just like one of those things. It's like, well, if we're going to talk about movies, why not talk about a movie that we both have a great affection for? Because, uh, uh, you know, there have been many open, you know, like even before the show starts where we sit there and talk about how much we love this film. Uh, so, and you know, I, I am not an expert in westerns, but I still think this is one of the best westerns ever made. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to bury the lead at all. This is one of the fav- my favorite things ever. <laughs> uh, I, I would, you know, certainly as far as miniseries go, there's no question this is my favorite ever. Uh, as far as westerns go, it's right there with uh, my favorite western of all time is The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. 
Okay. And that would probably be about number three or four on my all-time movie list. Maybe it might get covered on this uh, show at some point. Uh, This is is at that level for me. This is just one of the all-time greats. It's six hours of such engrossing drama that it's hard it's hard for me to contain myself when i think about it i had seen this when it was first aired mm-hmm. back in 1989 and i remember i was reading the newspaper and the tv critics column had you know he had a column about it and there was an interview with robert duval and i had no foreknowledge of this series before that but robert duval said I was in The Godfather, and while we were filming it, we knew we were doing something special. I'm not going to say that this is The Godfather, but while we were filming this, we had that same feeling. And I'm paraphrasing him. I don't have the exact quote. And I thought, that's pretty. That's a pretty strong statement that he made there. So I set my, uh, my, my uh, timer on my VCR, and it was aired in four one-and-a-half-hour episodes... Uh, so eight hours of, was it four? Yeah, four one and a half hours. Yep. No, so it was. Wait a minute. Yeah, that, no, that it was four, Excuse me, it was four two-hour episodes on TV. I apologize. But probably about an hour and a half worth of. An material. hour and a half worth of content and half an hour worth of commercials. So it was eight hours cut down at six hours. Cut the commercials cut out at six hours. And and I ended up instead of recording it with the timer, I ended up sitting there with my remote control and cutting out the commercials. So I had one six-hour VHS tape with the entire series on it. And I remember telling my dad, I just watched this thing, it was really good. I said, it starts off a little slow in the beginning, but it's really good. You just gotta stick with it for a little while and you're gonna get totally engrossed in it. And it was on either Friday, Saturday night, and I went out at like around seven o'clock and I came home at about one in the morning, and he was sitting on the couch watching it still. He watched the entire <laughs> six hours in one night, and he said, you don't know what you're talking about. That, that beginning wasn't slow at all. Yeah. It got him enthralled right from the start. Well, I was... This is 1989, so I was 13. My family uh, has this had, had this uh, because, you know, family's kind of broken up at this point because we're all adults and such but one of the things that my family liked to do especially my mother my mother loved movies Uh, she loved television movies like there was a a mini series on like 87 88 called manhattan that uh i remember her taping and watching a lot so when you combine that with the fact that this is a western so you're going to get my father's attention. Uh, and the fact that my sisters and I just like to watch stuff. This was kind of a family event for us. Because we sat around and watched it. And we taped it. We watched it again and again and again. And, you know, my, my father is not one to give to hyperbole when it comes to movies. But he said to me then, and he says that whenever it's brought up now... It is the best thing that Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones ever did. And I was just like, well, this is a man that loves movies and loves westerns and loves those actors. So for him to say that, you know, that that's kind of a big deal. So it's kind of funny to think of those times because now if this came on, you would DVR it. Yeah. 
and, and then you would watch it later. And maybe if you had one of those things that burns it to a disc or you'd wait like the six weeks or so until it comes out on Blu-ray. And, you know, when when this came out on video, we bought it just so we could have like a legit copy. And I, I still need to pick up a DVD of this at some point or if it's on Blu-ray, I need to pick up the Blu-ray. I, I was so going to ask you it. if you have it on DVD. Don't pick it up. It'll be in the mail to you. Oh, okay. Well, because I recently picked it up on Blu-ray, so my DVD is now superfluous. Oh well, and uh, it's on. I, it's it's going to be on its way to the Bailey household. As as I always say, unless the word "soiled" is involved, I don't turn down free. So, <laughs> but no, it's it's just one of those things. I am a fan of epics. I like stories, uh, and especially when a movie can pull this off, that starts at a certain point. And just so much happens during the course of the story that by the end, like you're a little sad because it's over and maybe some characters are no longer with with the, the movie as it went along. But it makes you want to, you know, like start it over all over again just because it's epic. Like you mentioned that the, the opening is a bit slow. I could see that. But at the same time, I loved that they took the time to really set up these characters and who you're going to follow and what their little arcs are going to be so that when bad stuff starts happening, which happens pretty quick, you know, you kind of, you kind of feel for everybody in the movie. And that way, when certain things are revealed, it's, it's a little more dramatic. And, you know, the last time you and I spoke and I haven't done this yet, but the last time you and I spoke, you told me to read the novel. And I really got to get on that because if if, if the novel, I, I assume the novel is better than the film. Well, so it's it's a rare thing because I've always said you know ninety nine times out of a hundred the novel is better than the movie. There's been a rare movie where it's better than the novel, and I would consider The Godfather and Jaws to be prime examples of that. Oh yeah, this one I feel like they're dead equal. Okay, so that's even better. It's it's I you know someone recommended the novel to me and it, it's it's large, uh, and I sat down and I read it and I had all those same feelings as I was reading it that I had when I was watching it, and it, it wasn't it wasn't one of these things where you felt like you were reading the novelization of a movie, you know where, where it, it it didn't mm-hmm. have any more depth to it. It had that depth, but it just the movie is so rich. And the characters feel so well developed, you have that same exact feeling as you read it. So it's just like being back again. So that's well, I, that's my take on it. I, I think the real strength of the film, though, is that they they packed this movie with actors, like good character actors. Like you won't recognize Tommy Lee Jones in this film because he almost looks like he almost looks like Kenny Rogers actually. Yes, yes, that's a little exactly. bit. Uh, this was the first thing I ever saw Tommy Lee Jones in that I really, really liked. Before before this, I don't think I had ever seen him in anything where he really stood out to me as being anything special. And he this, was great in this. Yeah, this was the first movie that I really sat up and paid attention, and that's why later on when I watched, like, The Fugitive, uh, or, you know, <laughs> to a lesser extent, Batman Forever, uh, where I really just took up because this—he's this, one of those actors that could literally sit there and read the phone book to me, 
and I would just be enthralled because he has such an easygoing way of you know of the way he acts that it's almost like he underplays it to the point that it's that it's brilliant and he plays <laughs> he plays Woodrow F Call uh, yes uh, which I found out recently that originally Duvall was cast as Call and Tommy Lee Jones was cast as Augustus McRae. And Duvall liked Gus so much that he basically asked if they could switch. And I think really looking at how the two actors approach the material, that was the best decision these filmmakers could have made. If, uh, I, haven't, if I haven't told you this trivia fact yet, I'm going to blow your mind. This was originally written by McMurtry as a screenplay. Okay. And his intention was that John Wayne was going to play Call. <laughs> and Jimmy Stewart was going to play Gus McRae. Ooh. And Henry Fonda was going to be Jake Spoon. Wow. That was the intention that when he been first epic. came up with this. That would have been really epic. It was epic anyway. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, but it would have been epic, epic in a different way. But no, he plays Woodrow F. Call as the the strict lawman in his later years where he, you know, cause they were, they were Texas Rangers, which is kind of their backstory and why they're, you know, they're to, he and Augustus are together. So you always got the sense that he was kind of like the straight shooter, which is why when something is revealed later in the movie, it's just kind of a big surprise. You know, <laughs> you're not surprised that Augustus McRae may have a few kids out there. Yeah. Uh, so, but Woodrow F. Call, that would that would kind of surprise you. But he just, just the way his accent, the way he carries himself, and the few times where he just loses it, it makes it so much more powerful. He, you know, let, let's talk about the casting just a little bit. You know, you yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. Actually, you know what? I don't want to give away too much of the plot because realistically, okay. my thought is a lot of people listening to this have probably never seen it. And I really, really want them to see it. So I don't want to give away too much of the plot. But just as a, as a basic uh, description, uh, as, as Mike said, Duval and uh, Tommy Lee Jones play Gus McRae and Woodrow Cole. They're partners uh, as Texas Rangers. And they've been together, you know, best friends like brothers for years and years. They're in their later years... Uh, What's his name? Jake Spoon, who's played by Robert Urich, returns. He was a fellow ranger with them. He returns after being out, uh, you know, doing whatever he was taking care of and puts the idea in their head to do a cattle, uh, a cattle run. And the whole movie centers around their efforts to take these cattle from, uh, from Lonesome Dove, which is the town that they're in. And they're looking to take them to Montana, I believe. Something like that. And yeah, from the, the, south the, entire, the entire six hours centers around that. But there's uh, quite a few different characters that come in and out during this uh, during this six hours. And there's quite a few different subplots and other stories that come in. And just to, to go over the cast a little bit, and I'll, I'll just go over some of the names. Danny Glover plays Joshua Dietz. Diane Lane plays Lorena Wood. Frederick Forrest plays Blue Duck. D.B. Sweeney plays Dish Boggett. Ricky Schroeder, or I think at that time he was getting more mature and wanted to be Rick Schroeder, 
plays yeah. Newt Dobbs. Angelica Houston plays Clara Allen. Chris Cooper, who I didn't know at the time, but who has since has done many things, oh, is yeah. July Johnson. Uh, Glenn Headley plays Elmira Johnson. Can I tell you how much of a crush I had on her when I was a teenager? On Glenn Just Headley? In, yes, I had such a crush on that woman. From uh, which performance? Uh, 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 from... From Dick Tracy and the band played on just about everything I saw her in. I just, I was just in love with her. <laughs> well, I could say similar things about Diane Lane. Well, I, my love for my crush on Diane Lane goes back to Outsiders because when you have three older sisters and they all pick somebody from Outsiders to have a crush on. Your pickings are slim, but man, if pickings are going to be slim, if if your only option is Diane Lane, you're 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 still doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not so bad. Uh, an in- interesting person in here, William Sanderson as Lin- Lippy Jones. People might know him better as uh, Larry from the Newhart Show, or uh, what was his name in Blade Runner? Oh yeah, that's right. He was in Blade Runner too. Uh, but he was in Blade Runner. I don't want to waste too much time he, looking him up. Uh, where was now? Where was it? Who else do we have here? Steve Buscemi was in it. Uh, there's a there's an actor in here, James McMurtry. I wonder if he's related to Larry McMurtry. I don't know. That'd be interesting to uh, to to find out. Uh, it's also got Barry Corbin. Yes, who, who's who's great? In it. They're all great in it. Trust me. Who, there isn't a performance in this movie that you're going to say, "Oh, that one sucked." Mr. McKittrick, after careful consideration, I've come to the conclusion that your new defense system sucks. <laughs> <laughs> now, the thing um, that amazes me about the casting, no acting Emmys for this. Yeah, how the hell does that happen? We had, we had I think, five nominations. There was uh, Duval was nominated, Tommy Lee Jones was nominated, Angelica Houston was nominated, Diane Lane was nominated... And Danny Glover was not. Oh, six. Glenn, Glenn Headley was also nominated. And I, uh, no, I, no I Emmys, can't, though. I can't believe that's so, somebody had a thing against westerns, and that's all I got to say about that. Because I, I do think there is a a prejudice against westerns as a general rule. So, but I mean, you know, when you when you look at this film and watch these people go through their performances, I mean, for crying out loud, Steve Buscemi is in this thing. I mean, he's in a really small part, but and you blink and you miss him. But you know, when you've got the acting, you know, chops of of, of this of this cast, how did uh, I'm gonna I'm calling that on bias, and I'm calling a lot of BS on that because this thing deserve. I mean, uh, at the very least, Duvall and Jones deserved something for their performances. The funny thing is, if Duvall won, I would have felt Tommy Lee Jones got robbed, and if Tommy Lee Jones won, I would have felt Duvall got robbed. <laughs> They were both so great in this scene, playing such different characters, but the chemistry between them is tremendous. You can feel that brotherhood bond that they have. Yeah, they're, they're, they clicked. And if they hadn't clicked, I think the film would have been lesser for it. But because they clicked on the level that they did, that, uh, I, uh, you know, it's like two people that just understand the other person and just kind of accept them where other people might not. Like, you know, Call is stuffy and Augustus McRae likes to spend time with prostitutes. So, I mean, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can't get more different different than that. And then he has one of the best lines. Well, he's got like a lot of the, there's so many great lines, but one of the best lines from the from the film is in the beginning. He's uh, playing a game with Diane Lane, and the stakes kind of are a free poke, as they call it. And she's like, "You cheated." And he goes, well, I wouldn't say I did it, and I wouldn't say, say I did, but I will say this. Any man that won't cheat for a poke don't want one bad enough. <laughs> and it's just like, it just rolled off his tongue. Like, like, it was the most natural thing in the world to say. The, the other thing about them is you accept the age that they're playing. And I think they were both playing a little older than they really were at the time. Yeah. But you also see them as incredibly competent and you wouldn't mess with either of these guys no not at all because there is a point where something happens with robert urich's character where you find out that they they have a code and they live by that code and they don't care who you are if you step over the line they're going to hang you and it's just and and there's another moment i want for people who haven't seen this i i want you to keep one line of dialogue from Tommy Lee Jones in your head. I can't stand rudeness in a man. I won't tolerate it. Because when you see what happens before that, it is just amazing. So I, I, I almost want to recommend the film for that scene. <laughs> because it's my favorite in the entire film. That's and it. I call it, it a film. I, I call it a film. I consider it one movie. Even though there's four parts to it, so... Yeah, well, it, and you can you can watch it in four parts, or you can sit down as my dad did and watch it in six hours. Mm-hmm. I've done both over the years, and and I've never never had any <laughs> never never had any regrets. I've seen it. There was there was a point where I would see this at least once every other year. I would say, and uh, yeah. as as I've as has been my habit in the episodes we recorded of this series right now, I have it playing on my TV set in the background as I'm recording this <laughs> and, and I keep looking over and right now uh, Robert Robert Duval is being confronted by uh, by the character Blue Duck who's a renegade Indian mm-hmm. and his viciousness is pretty mind-numbing it, it, it's amazing where this film goes because once they get on the trail you start to see how dangerous it was to be on a cattle run not only in terms of just being around, you know, those animals and how dangerous they can be, but the end of the first episode has them coming across some water moccasins, and it's brutal. And, you know, Blue Duck is kind of the villain of the piece, and he kind of comes in and out, because if I'm remembering the movie correctly, because it's been years since I've seen it, he has history with Call and McCray. Like they've run into him before, so the, the history is limited. They they've they've kind of chased him, but never caught him. Mm-hmm. There's there's a point where he's he's talking to McRae and he says, "I raped women, burned villages, did whatever, and you never even saw me." <laughs> Which is probably the best thing for Blue Duck because they would have killed him. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm just but, saying. but he's he's equally competent as a uh, as a nemesis as oh, they yeah. are as our protagonists. And what he does to some of the cast is just it's awful. This 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 man has no scruples. 
He doesn't care who he kills. So you'll be following a character, and you'll think, oh, there's no way that this person's going to die. And then by the end of the film, they're dead. And they were killed by Blue Duck. The body count is fairly high. And the wonderful thing about this movie is, with the exception of a few minor characters who are just kind of not particularly important, most of the deaths you feel. Mm-hmm. The characters are so well developed that when they die, you feel their loss. And, But you don't walk away from the saying, oh my God, all these characters are dead. It's depressing. It, no, it you is, just get a sense that this is how it was. And and the know? ending of it, I, I felt the ending of it is is very uplifting in its own way. And I don't really want to talk about the ending because I don't want to give things away that happen. But, yeah. But at, just at the very end... You hear the the theme music swells up, and they show you clips of characters throughout the six hours, and then they come back to the scene as it is, and you just feel like you were part of a rich part of history. Again, I don't want to give away too many too many details, so I'm probably not giving it the description that, well, that it I, deserves. I think one of the best things about the film, though, is how they're able to weave all these characters in and out of each other's lives. Because Chris Cooper plays July Johnson, who, and this really isn't giving much away, his whole thing is that he's on the search for her, for his wife, who, played by Glenn Headley, who has basically run away to find her, ex-hus- her ex-husband, and she's pregnant. So July takes off with his son to find her, and uh, joined by Barry Corbin, and we kind of see how they intersect with Robert Duval, Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones's crew through Angelica Houston. So it, it, it's really elegant how people come in and come out and you really get invested in their stories. And then when people meet their ends, it's just like, oh my God, I, I really wanted them. I, I was kind of pulling for those people. And, you know, I, I think there isn't anybody in here that, that puts in a bad performance I don't think anybody's lazy. I think when you're working with heavyweights like Angelica Houston and Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones and Danny Glover, uh, you know, and even Robert Urich, you're gonna you're gonna bring your A game to everything you do. So you know, even DB Sweeney, who was kind of a young actor at the time, uh, you know, comes off as like a really likable character, just because you know he's playing the hell out of it. So it's it's just amazing. What one of the <laughs> One of the, the, the funniest parts of this film for me is something I didn't notice when I first watched it, but a couple of years ago, uh, this tells you how much this film means to me. I was in my hotel room at Dragon Con, and AMC was showing the entire film, and I just sat there for like four hours watching it. Because <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I should be out having fun. I am so engrossed in this. There is a character named Dan Suggs, who's played by an actor named Gavin O'Harely. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Now, some people might know him as Chuck Cunningham, Richie's older brother. Uh, He was also in Willow. But I will always think of him as Brad Johnson from Superman 3, the drunk that uh, gets completely... uh, I I almost swore. I'm trying not to do that. Uh, Gets completely drunk with Richard, uh, Richard, Richard Pryor at one point in the film. And I'm like, what is... 
what is Brad Johnson doing this in this film? Oh, he is evil. <laughs> he is a bad man. I think of him from uh, Never Say Never Again. Okay, see. That's the part and I remember he, him most for some reason. And he was in Willow, and he, you know he, he you know he's got a very large you know he's got a very huge IMDb thing, but it's just kind of funny. It's just like great. Now between Diane Lane and him, I can bring this back to Superman anytime I want to. <laughs> Perfect. I, I know you do like to play the uh, the degrees of separation with superhero films. Yeah, well, you got Chris Cooper, who is Norman Osborn. Uh, Angelica Houston, who was Morticia Adams. I mean, Tommy Lee Tommy Jones, Lee Jones was, Two-Face. was Two-Face. And the general in Captain America. So oh, Yes. Was, so it, was Duval ever in a superhero movie? I don't think Duval was ever in a superhero. That's just kind of weird when you think about it. You well, nowadays. Uh, but, you know, he... Nowadays, he does mostly westerns and stuff. So, because he was in Broken well, Trail, we can, which... we can create the degrees of separation because he was in The Judge with Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, definitely. So that brings him, you know, one degree of separation there. I just love that one of his early, early roles was Boo Radley in To Kill a Mockingbird. So, that just floors me that you know <laughs> from such uh from such humble beginnings here comes this great actor so he was he was the i forget the name of the character but he was the main bad guy who john wayne was after in true grit mm-hmm. he said so, he, he I mean, delivered one of my favorite lines ever there when he said that's that's bold talk coming from a one-eyed fat man <laughs> fill your hands <laughs> And you son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. <laughs> no, it's just, but again, it's just, you know, you get really invested in these people and in, and in their characters and in their relationships. There's, there's a past between Angelica Houston's characters and Robert Duvall's character, and you see that on her face when she sees him. Like, she's been kind of a bright character, and she's kind of the matriarch of this family. But when she sees Augustus McRae roll up, this smile just breaks out on her face. And it's just like, everything you need to know about their relationship is in that reunion. Like, you know, this is the one that got away that she never got over. So so on that, on that score, it's just, it, it bowls me over every time I watch it. Like, I am so excited that you're sending it to me now because I'll just spend an entire day off watching it. Uh, and hopefully Rachel won't mind. Hopefully. I would I would love it if Rachel would sit down and watch it with you. I'm trying to think again as if there's any no, in there that really. would be bad for her. The, the water moccasin scene is a little uh, upsetting, but there's nothing, uh, there, there's nothing as, I, as I call it, Shatter McBreaky that would... Uh, that would uh, would bug her. I mean, Blue Duck will probably bug her, but you know, if, if you're not disgusted by Blue Duck, I, I I think you need to take a long, hard look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah, so, I would agree with that. He he is one of the most despicable characters ever, and yet still not not a comic version of himself. He is believable as the despicable character that he's playing. He he never becomes, you know, a joke. And if you see this guy, like in other roles, he doesn't look anything like this. Well, he's the one I always think of him as Chef from Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's another Robert Duvall connection as well. So, and he was he, he was on he was on Twenty One Jump Street uh, as 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 one of the the captain characters, and you know he he was in this. 
but it's just like one of those things where you see him in other things and you just don't think of him as this character but once he's in that costume and once he's in that makeup he is completely and utterly despicable as a human being and it's just like he was before you just didn't <laughs> Rachel says he was before. I just didn't know it. Apparently, I have no idea who you're talking about. She has no idea who we're talking about. She just wouldn't say that. So. <laughs> but uh, but I, you know, it's it's funny because it's amazing how many of these actors I will watch in just about anything. Yeah. You know, Danny Glover, I'd watch in just about anything he does. He's in a commercial now that makes me laugh. Uh, that's about charging your phone. And he's like running away from an exploding food truck, and it's hilarious. So I don't think I've seen and, that one yet. And Diane Lane, you know, she's amazing at everything she does. Angelica Houston, Chris Cooper, I think, is really like one of the young MVPs of this movie, because you know, just from from a time to kill to American Beauty to. What, what's the he did that show with James Franco recently too? Uh, the JFK movie, Stephen King thing. He was on. I didn't see that. Uh, it was on. Uh, it was on Hulu Plus. So if you don't have Hulu Plus, you're oh, probably. I do not. So uh, he was but, really good in Sea Biscuit, also, by the way. Mm-hmm. So it's just like he's just like one of those actors that just walks into the role. I mean, he was a bad guy in the in the more in the in the revamped Muppet movie that came out a couple years ago. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he was the bad guy in the Bourne Identity, wasn't he? Which is kind of funny when you think about it, because Tommy Lee Jones is the guy chasing Jason Bourne in the more recent one that's coming out soon. Oh, so There's an Alpha and so Omega. That's an Alpha and Omega thing. I kind of like that. So. <laughs> but, um, you know, Steve... I, I have to admit, I did not like him as Norman Osborn, though. Well, he didn't do much as Norman Osborn. Yeah, it was it was more that the part was written so badly. Yeah, it was just well, I could I could go on with what a what an utter complete utter disappointment Amazing Spider-Man Two was, but it's not that kind of party. So we'll, we'll gonna, save that for another episode. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's kind of funny watching you know like Lena Headley running around with Steve Buscemi and the, that other giant man that almost kills Steve Buscemi at one point. Uh, for being inappropriate, so it's, uh, Zway. It, yeah, Zway. It's just, uh, I mean, it, 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 without giving anything away, it's almost hard to talk about this film. Yeah, because... that's that's the one one downside to this is is I don't want to give too much of the plot away, but well, I don't mind giving the plot away. I just don't want to give the fine details away. Yeah, because there are so many moments that you want to experience firsthand you don't want to hear about it and then see it yeah that's that's exactly my thoughts and I'm, I'm like i said i'm hoping if if a couple of people say you know what i heard mike and paul talk about this and i trust their opinions so i'm going to uh i'm going to put it on i anticipate that they'll be happily surprised mm-hmm. and it's worth it to me to not go into details just just on the the chance that that's going to happen so I, I don't like I said I don't want to give too much away, and it does handcuff us a little bit as to far as what we can discuss. But one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit about was the follow up to this, because there's a lot. Yes, they had from from a video point of view, there was 
the sequel, the direct sequel to this, Return to Lonesome Dove, which picks up where this one left off, and it actually, they brought in some new characters to replace some of the ones that were killed off in this one, and you could see they tried to go for the same character types, uh, and it doesn't, didn't necessarily work, but it's kind of enjoyable if you're willing to take the lesser, more of the same. <laughs> If that well, makes any sense. Yeah, it's like, you know, if you... It's not that John Voight is a bad actor, but he's not Tommy Lee Jones. So it's kind of hard to watch him. You know, I, I, I have honestly never seen this uh, because I, I thought it would kind of, in the end, disappoint me. It, it would. It's, 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 it's kind of Lonesome Dove Light is what it is. <laughs> you know, it, but it, it's, it's not terrible. It's just not up to this level it's not i'm looking at the cast list it's got barbara hershey ricky schroeder returns uh william peterson's in this so uh he's he's actually always good oliver reed wow reese witherspoon she must have been like 17 years old yeah she was because she's around my age so wow that's that's kind of and see it was fairly entertaining i did see it and you know, I can't I can't criticize it much. But uh, Larry McMurtry's sequel to this was Streets of Laredo, which takes place about 20 years after this one. And that was made into a movie uh, starring James Garner. I read that book before I saw it, and I thought the book was captivating. It, it, it had me riveted. Uh, I didn't think that the miniseries quite lived up to the level of the book, so I'd recommend the book over the miniseries. I I, I kind of want to see the miniseries though because it's a it's a western with George Carlin in it. Yes. So wow, that's just that's just kind of impressive on its own. And, and it wasn't it was not bad at all. It just you know that was one where which was true to form where it was it was good it was entertaining but the book was better. So I mean that's that's usually the case with most movies based on novels. So I, I would give it that. Then there were several other. Uh, I think it was. I think he did three prequels. Uh, I'm trying to remember the uh, the titles. I, I have read them all. But they, they and they did. One is Dead Man's Walk. I can't, I can't even remember off the top of my head. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to look them up. But. Uh, this, the prequels actually have uh, David Arquette playing the uh, young Robert Duvall character. And what? It, it never clicked as far as I was concerned. It, he never seemed like Robert Duvall. He was never as smart as Robert Duvall. No, that's that's awful. Who, who, does, who owed who money is what I want to <laughs> know there. photos of who in a compromising position. Exactly. Good Lord. So I, I I didn't care for that miniseries at all. Was but that Dead Man's Walk? I believe that was. The, I think that was the first of the prequels. There were either two or three prequels. It's been it's been a while, so I, I can't tell you. Uh, and they did the movie of the first prequel. I think that was it, though. I don't think they did a second one. And like I said, it, it didn't work for me, so I I, I don't think I would have bothered with it anyway. Oh yeah, this yeah. I'm looking at the IMDb right now. It's got David Arquette and Edward James Olmos and 
Keith Carradine, F. Murray Abrahams. Eh, got some heavyweights to put around freaking David Arquette. Frankly, the the book didn't reach the level of the of Lonesome Dove and Streets of Laredo either. But is this one of those things where you want to see the original adventures of these characters, or would you rather like their legend kind of live in your head since you've seen them when they're older? It's it's in in my opinion, it's a case of be careful what you ask for. Yeah, because cause... yeah, I did want to see the earlier adventures because I thought it would capture the feeling of the later adventures, and that I'd be awestruck by these guys as young men and that was not the case when i saw it so it was ultimately disappointing and i don't reference that in my mind when i see lonesome dove i don't think of that as the young version of the character i think that's just (laughs) nothing i don't know knowing what we know now about men in black 3 maybe it would have been funny to cast josh brolin as the uh the young uh Woodrow F. Call. That, that <laughs> since, was... since he played the young Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black 3. So. And and did it very well. So, uh, And then there was a TV series as well that lasted, I think, about a season. Yeah, it only lasted one season, which uh, doesn't really surprise me <laughs> all yeah, that much. On, like, I, think it was, I don't even think it was on network television. I think it was, I think it was done in syndication. Which is then surprising that it only went one season because in the nineties you could Nightman went two seasons and that was a piece of crap show. So I I'm now surprised that it that it didn't last longer. Maybe maybe the Western was just the bridge too far because uh, Briscoe County Junior only lasted one season. But I think that was a Fox show, so that's not surprising. I don't know what I'm talking about at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not quite sure why the Western as a genre has gone by the wayside i understand yeah. why i you know why it wouldn't be as popular as it once was because at one point in time it was it was to probably the 1950s what superheroes movies are now yeah definitely but but it's it's not that okay it faded some and it doesn't have that level of popularity but it's still out there it's rare that you see a western nowadays it's usually a television movie like you know speaking of robert duvall uh, one thing that my father keeps beating me over the head that I need to see is Broken Trail, uh, which has Robert Duvall and uh, Thomas Hayden Church and is apparently like an amazing movie uh, or amazing miniseries that came out in 2006. But it, it's kind of funny because at work recently, uh, we, we have a TV in our break room and it doesn't get cable, but it gets like the, uh, the digital like antenna thing that, uh, you can like pull different channels and such. And one of them is me TV, which I don't have on my cable system, but a lot of other people do. And I'm really jealous of their Saturday night uh, because all the shows that they show on Saturday night are like right up our alley. Mm-hmm. But, but during the day they show like old Westerns, like the rifleman with Chuck Connors, who has a jaw that you could like, like sharpen a knife on. My God, that man was just, like the, I see now what they say when they say square jaw. It's 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 basically Chuck Connors, and you have Gunsmoke and you have uh, Bonanza. Uh, Bonanza's on, and and what is the one with Marshall Dillon? What was that called? Gunsmoke. Was that, oh, no. that was Gunsmoke. That was Gunsmoke. Yeah, and and uh, what was the one with the Ponderosa? That's that's Bonanza. Yeah. Okay. So, and I'm watching these shows, and I'm thinking about how at one point. 
like network television was just full of Western television shows. And then around the seventies, that really started to go away. And I'm, and I'm like with you, what about that era doesn't appeal to a mass audience anymore? Where it seemed like at one point that's what everybody was watching, and now it's kind of like a like a it's almost like pulp books. It's it's something that people are into, but only a small amount. And whenever they try to do a western movie, it doesn't do well in the theaters. So I'm I'm with you. I'm kind of wondering why that is. I I, I couldn't give you an answer to that, but to try and bring it back to Lonesome Dove a little. I would say to anyone listening who is not a big fan of westerns that this film transcends the genre. Yes, it does. It really does. You don't have to be a fan of westerns to enjoy this film. This and and I had a similar experience to what you did, Mike, that by the time this was on, you know, I'm the youngest in my family or, or you know, I I was the youngest of my parents' children at least. I mean, we have you know, we've all had our own kids and stuff now so I'm not the youngest but I was the youngest of my parents children so we were we were not all living in the same home by the time this came out but we had all seen it and I remember sitting around the table and talking about it and everybody in my family loved this whether they were fans of westerns or not so it's not just you and I sitting here and saying yeah we really love this we have the ability to say no we loved it, plus all these other people in our lives loved it too. <laughs> so it, it's it's not necessarily something where you know you, you we're pigeonholing it in any way. Yeah, I I think if you are a fan of character, and if you want to find people to root for, to fall in love with, to kind of you know get attached to, this is definitely your movie because the way it transcends the genre is that you can take this plot and kind of apply it to just about any era and you can kind of make it work. You know, whether it's one last road trip with a bunch of, you know, ex, you know, cops basically, or, you know, taking it maybe a little earlier and it's, it's, it's got that kind of epic feeling that I, I would almost, uh, you know, is kind of akin to, I don't want to say Elizabeth, you know, Emily Bronte or anything like that, but it's just, you know, with all the romances and the, you know, the, the people dying, it does kind of feel like one of those, you know, books that are set in like the, the England in the 1700s or whatever, where, you know, you have all these characters that are connecting and, and trying to make their way in the world and bad things just keep happening to them. So I, I honestly think that if you just like to watch a good story, this is the movie for you. Yeah, and, basically, you know, if you like things that are good, you should watch yeah. this. <laughs> if you don't like things that are good, you shouldn't bother. <laughs> and, and to be fair, I mean, you got six hours to kill. So, come on. I mean, I'm about to dive into a three-hour version of Batman v Superman soon, so I should have <laughs> uh, Another fun little fact is that it, it's kind of funny that James Garner and John Voight ended up playing Woodrow Call because they were offered the role before Tommy Lee Jones accepted it. And they must have been uh, kicking themselves. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> 
And apparently so is Charles Bronson. Yes. I don't know if I could have seen that. <laughs> uh, it certainly would not have been the same film with him in it. And No. You know, we, I, I, it, when we did the Jaws episode, uh, Rob Kelly and I were talking about uh, different actors who were offered the part of Quint. And quality actors. So my take on it was I couldn't tell you how it would have been with them, but I can tell you what we got. I can't yeah. sit here and say it would have been bad with them, but I know we got something that was great. And that's certainly the case here. We got a great performance from Tommy Lee Jones. I think James Garner or John Voight might have given us a similar performance. They may not have. I don't think they could have given us better than we got. And I don't know how well they would have meshed with Robert Duvall, too. So that's another kind of thing to think about that maybe, you know, you, you've got to you've got to take these things for how they come. It's you know, there, there, there's articles every once in a while, like, you know, Will Smith was offered the role of Neo in The Matrix and it went to uh, Keanu Reeves. And I'm like, well, then it would have been a completely different film, you know. <laughs> The, the way these things work is because, you, you know, you play the hand you're dealt and you go with it. And maybe it would have been a better, like, maybe a bad film would have been made better if a different casting decision has been made. But I don't see how a good film would have been made better if, if there was a difference in casting. Well, I, you know, can't, like, I can't imagine a better performance than Tommy Lee Jones gave in that yeah. role. So it's, it's like one of those things where it's kind of, you know, we, we, we talk about this because it's trivia. And it's interesting, but at the end of the day, I don't think either of us wanted anybody else in the role. So you have that as well. I mean, it's just, I, man, I'm just, I'm still stuck on that whole John Wayne, James Stewart thing. So, yeah, that was, <laughs> when I first heard that, it blew my mind too. So, <laughs> but no, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's readily available on DVD and Blu-ray. It's not that expensive. Uh, no, because I told you I recently acquired the Blu-ray uh, at Target for $7.50. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I remember the original video release was really expensive because it was three tapes. And it was, in a, it was a box set, you know, back when that was a big deal. <laughs> you know, it's just so funny to talk about when this film came on and how we first watched it and taping it with VCRs. Mm. It's just, it's so quaint at this point. Well, at the time, you thought that was going to be a copy forever. Yes. You didn't absolutely. realize there was a new format on the horizon every few years. At least I didn't. Well, that's because the VHS tape lasted well over a decade. So, and you know, DVD started like around 96, 97, really creeping in. And then, you know, back in like 10 years later, it was Blu-ray and that's managed to stick around. Though there was that fight between HD DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah, I feel uh, bad for people who invested heavily in HDTVT. Yeah, it's it's like those people... Well, I can't say too much about Betamax because my two aunts, my mom's younger sisters, both had Betamax VCRs well into the 90s. So uh, <laughs> they bought it, and by God, they were sticking with it. And they and they both managed to find video places in their towns that rented Betamax. So mm. that's just, kind of fascinating. But before, before we get to the... To, to the you know to wrap this up, I just want to hit on a couple of more things, and I know you're more of a connoisseur of this than I am. Uh, what do you think of the soundtrack? I think the music is integral to the film. I think that 
that opening theme gives you that sweeping epic feeling. And I think, you know, when it goes dark, the music's there. When, you know, it's it, you know, when there's like, you know, an action scene, the music's there. And then when perfect example is the music swelling when Angelica Houston sees uh, Augustus McRae for the first time in years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there. And then there are points where it's not. And I think the last chapter of this has some of the best moments of the film. There is no musical accompaniment. They just let the actors play the scene. And with that, it's almost, it's almost more haunting. So I I really liked the music in this. Yeah, I did too. Um, I, that's the scene that stood out in my mind. I talked earlier about, there's a scene towards the end where we see kind of some flashbacks and the the music really swells during that as well, and it it just gives you this feeling, you know, like it it causes goosebumps for me. And it's a combination of seeing those scenes and with the music accompanying it. I I just think it was tremendously done. The score was composed and conducted by Basil Poldoris, and it says he did uh, the he did the next three movies for. Uh, Simon Winsor, who's the director of this, Quigley Down Under, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, and Free Willy. Wow. Well, talk about a man that wants to broaden his horizons genre-wise. Well, Quigley Down Under, I think, was an attempt at revisiting the same type of thing, although I don't... Albeit not not nearly as successfully. Yeah, but... but, um... Tom Selleck's really good in that film, so... And Tom Selleck is an underrated actor in his own right, I think. <laughs> and then, well, I would argue that... I would actually argue that Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man is a Western, just more of a modern-day type Western, so... That's fair. Uh, Free Willy's you know, very different, though. <laughs> no, Free Willy, completely different. But, you know, if you ever want to see Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson as leads in an action film, there you go. So... <laughs> Not that anybody ever wants to see that. Though I had a friend that loved that movie. So, Oh, by the way, if you haven't seen the film, do not look at the soundtrack uh, listing because there is an episode one level uh, spoiler in, in the track listing. So, Yes, you, you have been forewarned. <laughs> but no, I, I think it's one of those things where the music is perfect for the film it's in. Uh, and, and, I, and I will point this out too. Uh, we talked about the Emmys; it didn't win. Uh, it did. Uh, it did win um, outstanding achievement in casting for a miniseries or special. So uh, I think it was richly deserved for that. Absolutely. Like I said, I, I wonder if it's you know they talk about splitting the vote. I wonder if that's it's a case like that where there were enough fans of this that Duval or Jones would have won, but one of them got half the votes of the people who love this movie. One yeah. of them got the other half of the votes, and somebody else snuck through with just slightly more than either of them. Whereas if it had only been one of them instead of two, they would have doubled up their votes and and blown away the the rest of the field. Yeah, it's like, but and, and another thing is like, who do you choose? Do you choose Angelica Houston or Diane Lane? Yeah, you know, to to win the outstanding lead actress in a miniseries or special, 
because both of them were were amazing. So, you know, who who do you choose in that case? Yeah, and as I said, no matter if if Jones had won, I would have felt like Duval got robbed, and if Duval won, I would have felt Jones got robbed because they both <laughs> absolutely deserved to be awarded for for the performances that they gave. Absolutely. So now's the point in the show where we say, is it yours? You know our rating system? What do you think, yeah. Mike? Oh, this is Jaws. This is <laughs> yes. definitely Jaws. I, I totally agree. This is absolutely right there. This is this is another one. Again, this is six hours long, so it's in its own way, it's an even greater achievement. But this is another film that I would call a perfect film. There is not one aspect of this movie that I can criticize or nitpick. And there's not a point where it slows down. I mean, everything just keeps trucking along. Even the slow moments are appropriately slow. Yeah, so and, that... and I, I, we talked earlier when I, I had recommended to my dad to watch, and I said the, the beginning starts off a little slow. The beginning starts off a little slow, and it's loaded with character moments. Mm-hmm. So the only reason it seemed to me to be slow to me at the time was because I was not yet familiar with the characters. When I viewed this for the second time, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and so on, and so on, and so on, now I can watch that that opening 40 minutes or so and appreciate what I'm seeing of each character and how richly they're already being developed that early in the movie. So the only reason it seemed slow was because it, it's a movie that commands your, your viewing and you have to watch it. Yeah. You can't multitask and watch this because you're going to miss out on all those character moments. And you're not going to feel the richness of the characters. So you need to just sit down and watch it. And like I said, if, if anybody... I, I haven't got an email address set up for the show yet. But if anybody watches this uh, on, our, on our recommendation, I'm really curious to know what you think. Yeah. I'd really like to hear what somebody coming to this for the first time thinks of the film. Uh, you know, and I don't care if you're, uh, you know, on the older side or on the younger side. I, I just want to know. And I guess that's it for Lonesome Dove for now. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on, Mike. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me to come on to talk about, like I said, one of my favorite films of all time. I, I doubt that anybody listening is not familiar with you, but in, in case they are not, <laughs> why don't you tell everybody what, what else you do? Um, I, I mainly talk about comic books, uh, on the two true freaks network. Uh, even though those shows are on, uh, extended hiatus, uh, Scott Gardner, Chris honey and well, and I, uh, used to do comics monthly Monday and Scott and I used to do tales of the JSA, uh, by myself. I do views from the long box, which you can find at views from the There. I talk about whatever really floats my boat at the time. And this year, especially I've had uh, Paul on a couple of times, to talk about the Fireside Marvel books. And we've had a lot of fun doing that. And there's going to be another one of those coming uh, around October, uh, around the 31st, because we're going to be talking about some bad guys. So, uh, And uh, hopefully starting in August, I don't know when this is coming out, but maybe by the time this comes out, uh, I will have gotten From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast off the ground again, as uh, Jeff and I have hit some... Uh, Scott Gardner and I level scheduling conflicts, uh, but uh, there's 200 episodes of that show to listen to uh, over on the Fortress of Bailey Tude. 
So, uh, yeah, just uh, all kinds of things uh, involving comic books. And I would recommend them all highly. Oh. And I guess with that, we'll say thank you for listening and uh, call it a night. I hate rude behavior in a man. Won't tolerate it.